0: all right welcome back to another one of our ways to be podcast episodes today we've got a great couple i'm really excited about uh, william pam jones and i met them uh, doing some grassroots stuff and uh, they've just been an inspiration and they've been plugged in in a lot of things and so i wanted to be able to talk with them and kind of glean some of their wisdom and some of their experience And so, um, William, Pam, will you guys share just a little bit about the grassroots movements you've been involved in? Um, And maybe there's another word you want to use other than grassroots. Why don't you
1: start? Why don't you start? You started before I did. Oh, okay. Um, Anyway, I grew up in the segregated South, Um, and uh, within the South, you had Uh, black folks who were obviously segregated, and then you had another white world that existed, kind of side by side. Um, Anyway, so my earliest recollections from um, being kind of in political activity came during the um, voter registration period of 1964, 64 and 65. Mm. Um, which would have made me 12 or so. Um, we, uh, with the impending change in legislation, um, churches got together, uh, you know, black churches, and went out to do voter registration. <clears throat> and um, I was always keen to, I was always keen to leave the house. Um, and so that was my introduction to knocking on doors. Uh, walking up um, dirt roads in uh, oppressively hot weather and um, just talking to people about the potential for change. And so. Um, and you're doing this at 12 years old. Yeah. So um, I think, though, the times, you know, we grew up in a unique time. Mm. Um, we grew up at that point where. The um, beginning, early. The beginning. We're in the middle of the civil rights movement. Okay, and um, so everybody was trying to figure out what to do, how much they could do. Um, You had the KKK uh, oppressing uh, people, threatening people. You had white landowners threatening to kick sharecroppers off the land. You had a lot of things going on, and people were trying to uh, kind of respond to the um, pressures that they faced at that moment in history, and, and how do you survive, and how do you fight for justice while you're surviving, hmm. For the issues of the day. Um, so most of my evolution kind of came from that period um, of... Um, being black in a larger white society and fighting for justice and so from voter registration um, my father was one of the um, initiators of a black farmer cooperative which um, came under tremendous pressure because black farms couldn't get loans if you own your farm and you were and what farmer can exist without loans so Black folks had to figure out a different way to do it, so a lot of cooperative. Um, um, uh, There were several co-ops across the South for Black farmers. Um, I was starting Black student organizing in high school um, and college, and this was all a part of the Black Power Movement. Um, So those were the beginnings, um, and then that uh, evolved uh, and my wife will talk some about the African liberation support work but i think probably in our 20s um, we 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 started in the anti imperialist movements in the us so you had uh, south africa you had you know um, the british uh, i'm not i mean european countries had colonies in africa this was before um, the wave of um, liberation movements and armed liberation movements so we supported those armed liberation movements materially. We used to raise money uh, and so forth for them um, and knew the first, some of the first round of international leaders that came, went on to run those countries. Um, so, what,
0: around what time period is this now? When 70, you're in, the 20s, in the 70s?
1: This was in the early, late, to, early, early to late 70s.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, probably 72 to 70. Eight or nine mm-hmm. wow. uh, in that era, which would have put us in our mid twenties instead of early twenties. <laughs> um, and and so then, these
0: are just these are just like you know these people who become these leaders of these huge movements. Yeah, all throughout the world.
2: Well, we had met we had met some of them. We had done support work here, organized different programs. Um, help to raise money, um, so those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, yeah we, we, we knew them personally. I mean, they, they weren't just pictures. They, they were human beings with real, with real human strengths and weaknesses that we are.
0: Yeah, well, and I think that's awesome because so often we think of the people who are our leaders in whatever a movement is um, as something more than just a regular person who also grew up in a regular life and had a passion or stepped into something, and then whoosh, it took off.
2: Why don't you talk some about your... My um, beginnings um, were not as at the age of 12. (laughs) Um, My involvement in social justice um, and kind of movement building kinds of things came when I was um, a college student. Um, Willie and I both went to Brown and um, one of the great things about Brown and one of the reasons I went there is it had um, no set curriculum, no required classes. So I was able to take the courses that I found interesting, which did not include math or science. Um, all of my classes were basically political science and Afro-American studies. Hmm. And I think it was um, through that, through discussions and classes and the readings that I was doing, um, and also the influence of my mother, um, who wasn't, you know, a big, you know, out there activist. Um, But she had um, this, I think, sense of right and wrong um, that she passed on to me. It's always something that's been kind of, I don't know, innate in me, uh, a sense of justice that people should be treated fairly. People, you know, should not be discriminated against because of who they are, or where they come from, or what income they have. And so, um, I became the first kind of movement that I became involved in was the African Liberation Support Movement, Uh, and that involved, um, as Willie, you know, has already alluded to. organizing programs, um, raising money, um, and organizing people um, around um, divestment um, from corporations, um, corporations divesting in um, African countries um, that, like South Africa um, at the time, um, I think, Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe was was actually was it still Rhodesia when we yeah he, it was
1: Rhodesia it yeah all became Zimbabwe after
2: yeah. Hmm. yeah um so what so, did
0: divesting from these corporations do
2: um it took money away from supporting racist um in, imperialist um, regimes in these countries it was a way of putting pressure. On the leaders um, and supporting the people. Um, it, in some cases, it was a little, I think, controversial um, because people felt that by not um, supporting the, those economies, you were hurting black people too. Um, but the black folks there, believe me, they said, "You know, go ahead, um, do that." Yeah. <laughs> divesting work." Um, Because in in the long run, um, that is what what is needed, and that's what's going to help us to change our countries.
1: Just a note on uh, divestment. Um, The primary tool we used was to pressure um, institutions like colleges, um, companies with portfolios, etc., to not buy South African crew brands. Um, the Krugerrand is a South African gold coin and it's the primary way that South Africa used to get foreign um, capital, uh, foreign, uh, li- foreign liquidity. Okay, so if you drive down the price and value of the Krugerrand, it makes it more difficult for South Africa to um, operate and to do trade the way normal countries do because of the value of their primary trading um, currency uh, fluctuating. And so that was part of the pressure um, that we were trying to put on them to force the country. Um, And and I do believe that that was, uh, we we now know, we didn't know at the time, but we now know that that was very significant, that not only that we were part of a worldwide movement in Europe as well as the U.S. demanding the divesture from investments within South Africa. Uh, so just a footnote on.
0: Yeah. So you were pushing for uh, U.S. companies and citizens and people not to invest in that. Yes. Uh, just as other people around the world were doing the same thing.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Wow. And that... <laughs> And that mattered, right? That had an impact. Uh,
2: yeah, while to think about it. it, it led to the liberation of countries in Africa. Hmm.
1: It, so
2: <clears throat> it became
1: clear to companies in South Africa <clears throat> that for them to compete internationally, they had to deal. It was, they had to deal with their racism. And it may not have been the driving factor, but it was one of many contributing elements to um, why the white population, particularly the corporate sector, um, ended up agreeing with the release of Nelson Mandela uh, mm. from prison. Uh, they could see the writing on the wall that the, uh, the, the world as they knew it was going to change.
0: Yeah. Wow. That- And I think the thing that's striking me the most is that you guys, uh, this movement didn't, it worked within a pre-existing system, right. And said, Oh, if we're going to create change, we'll just, we'll play this game better than they're playing it. Um, we'll, we'll work. We'll use the strategy they're using and kind of manipulate it in a way that says you need to do this so that you can succeed in what you want to be doing. Um, yeah, that's, that's very, um, Jesus-y, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. Uh, oh, okay. uh, okay. So you were in college when you first got involved in that, uh, Pam. And, mm-hmm. um, did that like spur you on to continue doing other things?
2: Um, it did. Um, I, I look back and think, um, the, really hasn't, I I would say there are a few movements that I wasn't involved in. Um, The range of the ones that um, I was involved in were anywhere from the peace movement, the environmental movement, um, climate change movement, education, quality education movement, um i I kind of started out um focusing on the oppression and the injustices against people who look like me against black people but it soon became clear that it wasn't just a struggle for black people that um the justice that I saw as so important had to be for everyone. And so it's, you know, any person, um, no matter what they look like, where they're from, what they do, um, what religion, if people were being oppressed, then I felt that it was my duty um, to stand up for them with them and to help try to make change.
1: And I think that justice theme has been a part of our own growth and evolution, um, and it's also part of uh, what in our later life uh, got us involved. I think in in faith, because certainly in our earlier days as we were coming along, um, one of my biggest um, one of my b- biggest moments was when I left home to go to college, I wouldn't have to worry about going to church every Sunday. Okay. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> the shackles were off. I could, <laughs> I could sleep late, party late on Saturday. I could do just about what I wanted to. But I think as we got older and had kids, um, she, in particular, got involved in local education. Hmm. Um, yeah. what what are you doing to make the world a good place for your children, a just place for your children becomes becomes more of a question as you get older and you got children. Um, which kind of brings me to one of the underlying principles. that that seems to have shown up in just about everything we've done is what Pam was saying around, um, you want a good world, but not just yourself. You want a good world for the people you know. And and we were fortunate that we always lived in uh, African-American neighborhoods, even if we could afford to be other places. Uh, We lived around working class people. And so the, and
0: that, was an, uh, that was, was an intentional choice. Yeah,
2: it yeah, was. Yeah. yeah. Why,
0: uh-huh. why? Why? Could you speak to that? Why was that? Uh,
2: it's, it's the same um, kind of thinking um, that led us to keeping our, having our children in the public schools when we could have afforded to um, send them to private schools. Um, what kept us in the communities with people like ourselves was if, and it, we try to balance that with, um, you know, not being um, critical of black folks, middle-class, upper middle-class black folks like ourselves um, who made different choices. Um, and who left the community. Uh, But for us, um, if everybody leaves, what is gonna happen to those communities? And so we felt a responsibility um, as, um, what's that saying? To, to much, to to those who have, much much is required yeah, or something. Much is expected. Yeah. Anyway, we felt that we had been blessed um many times old over and that it was our duty then to do everything within our power to help to change things. to to be the change in our communities um, and to um, help to educate and organize um, within our communities um, to help develop and create new leaders. Um, But for us, it it was a conscious choice sometimes to um, the dismay of our children Uh, But I think, you know, particularly as adults, um, that they look back and respect the choices that we made uh, because they understand where it was coming from. I think
1: one other note on that, we have always felt that um, you can't really know oppression if you're not proximate to it. We never wanted to get to a place where, um, you know, she grew up urban poor, like really urban poor. I grew up rural uh, poor. Um, those were our families. You know, when we go to family reunions or when we go to places on, you know, holidays, et cetera, our families were working class people. Um, you know, we were blessed because we had scholarships at in League schools. But in terms of the identity we, our identity, our identities were really tied to um, our histories. Um, you know, the, the yes, yes, it's a drunk uncle, and and yes, it's um yes, it's an aunt that's probably had could have could have used less husbands or boyfriend, but that's what oppression looks and feels like. Um, it's it's not this where you can sit at the corner in safety and pass judgment on people Hmm. Um, you've got to be a part of their experience and we've always felt that it was important to be proximate to people who are suffering um, because you want to understand it and be respectful of it which I think is really hard to do when you draw lines and say you know I got away from that. I'm never going back to that place again. Um, it, and, and particularly now that there are so many people who are finding out with COVID and unemployment, that though they thought they had escaped, they're having to now learn how to survive the way the Black folks have been surviving for decades. You know, job insecurity, health insecurity, And so, you know, even when we went broke, um, we lost our house. You know, I was out of work. We had to leave Detroit, Um, you know, house foreclosed on. It never crossed our mind that we wouldn't be successful because everybody we knew had had, had lost jobs and lost houses. Uh, You know, so I think being in that reality um, gives you also the confidence that you can be, that the world can be successful despite oppression.
0: Mm-hmm. So maybe even a form of resilience, you can kind of, yeah. And I thought while you were saying, that, I thought of the word compassion, like this idea of suffering with, um, and that you guys are saying, no, we want to be with right in the midst of whatever, this struggle that's going on
1: and be a part mm-hmm. of this.
0: Yeah. Which is really beautiful. And,
1: But that's also, that is actually close to the biblical definition of compassion. Yeah. Um, And I think that's why I think our growth in faith very much aligned with the values we already, um, that we're already controlling and shaping our lives. Uh, And so as we mature more and uh, re engage with the church, I think it was at a much higher level. So we understood and expect the church to do some things as opposed to just being in a place you show up on Sunday and sing a few songs, you know, throw a couple of amens at it and um, you know, go home and smile and watch football. You know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be, the church has to be, justice has to be more concrete than um than, than cutting yourself off as a way of um, not sharing the pain with the oppressed.
2: Um, One thing I wanted to add is just um, how over the years, Willie has just been so supportive of me and my growth um, and learning um, I know there was a long period of time, especially when we weren't involved in um, organized religion, when we weren't going to church. When we ended up getting uh, back in, in the church, it was actually because of our newly adopted son who asked, you know, do you guys go to church? Are you Christian? Well, mm, anyway, um, (laughs) um, you know, we wanted to do everything we could to support him. So, you know, we decided um, that we would join a church. Um, Of course, we we later found out that for our son, it it wasn't um, so much his love of God as it was his love of girls. He knew that um, in his foster care experience, um, he knew that that was where you would find girls.
0: Where the girls are, absolutely. The cutest
1: girl, the cutest ones who are, are well dressed, come from good families, all of that good stuff. You find them in the church.
2: But it was good to for me, especially um, to get back in church. Um, it wasn't wasn't long after that where that Willie really, um, really got to um, a place where he wanted to deepen um, his faith um, and his understanding, mm-hmm. and he enrolled in theology school. Seminary. Seminary.
0: Been there. I know the pains.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And um, you know, he was really involved uh, in our church, becoming a was it a deacon? uh, Steward, steward. a steward. Um, But um, what is that?
0: What is a steward?
2: It's
1: like a a deacon board, equivalent of deacon board, um, the decision-making body of the church uh,
0: okay okay so the,
1: the people who give the, the pastor their annual review even though the bishop like you know you have um in your church um uh, uh deacons don't you
0: yeah about? we've got deacons um yeah we've got deacons and district superintendents and bishops
1: yeah okay but the the people who make the um decisions about the church they fall into the trustees, and then there's the other body that deals with, in every church, another body that deals with theological issues or religious issues. If you want to change the liturgy or any of that stuff, hmm. it's that body that I was um, I was on.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: So, I mean, he he was just very involved in the church, and I was. For a long time, um, feeling a little badly because you know I'm I'm not like the missionary type or you know I can't sing so I couldn't be in the choir. Um, But I continued to be involved in social justice work and anti-racism work, and I was seeing you know church social justice. Um, as separate and really helped me to understand social justice is what Jesus was all about. And my pastor there, um, I think he understood that as well and appreciated the work that I was doing. And even though it wasn't being done inside the church, he felt that it was contributing to the church um, because I was a representative, Um, I was a member of our church doing that kind of work and receiving awards for doing, you know, um, racial justice work. Um, So, you know, and he would, and, and our first lady would come out and, you know, to the, some of these events um, and, you know, as my pastor and first lady, um, it was humbling and uh, appreciated by me um, that they would take the time to come out to support me when, on a couple of occasions, when I had gotten different awards.
0: Yeah. And, and for uh, the white people listening, the first lady is the pastor's spouse.
2: Yes, thank
1: you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we cringe every time we say that because um, just I, I, I should shut up. Um, they, people call them the first lady, so we'll call them the first lady, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, okay,
0: the church. It's funny to me that Willie, the, your first experience of social justice work was through the church at the age of twelve. And then you make this full circle, both of you, kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, the, the church should be doing this. Um, did you see big gaps where it was frustrating, where you didn't see churches taking part in this work that seemed to be integral to the teachings of Jesus?
1: In fact, that's part of what, dro- I would say what I would say drove me to the seminary, but um, I think the... you i reached a point where I was getting very, very frustrated with the church. I was getting very frustrated with pastors. Um, That pastors, I listened to so many sermons, particularly outside of the church I was in, where the pastor had a message to say. So he grabs some obscure quote from scripture and used as a foundation for some Backward, um, unchristian, <laughs> in many cases, message. Um, and I think that uh, that was one thing. The second thing is that people look to pastoral leadership in, in multiple, to help shape dimensions of their lives. Um, you know pastors they want they want the pastor to help them understand you know how to solve their marriage problems, how to um, how to become more holy, a, a series of things that are really important in terms of um, building a church. And so when I saw fewer and fewer pastors dealing with you know, the growth of the church and the church being something more than a Sunday and Wednesday activity and a revenue generator, um, that was my frustration. And I knew that in my heart, Uh, Christ called for more than that, that the church, uh, particularly in the African-American community, the church has been one of the consistent um, active players over from slavery till now. Um, And that uh, many institutions come and go in the Black African-American community, but the church has been a constant. And um, I think there's a particular value that it has for the African-American community. And then as I got more mature, I saw that the African-American church also has so much value for the broader church movement uh, because more more people are, more poverty and oppression is concentrated in the communities that those churches serve. And so if you believe that um, being proximate to oppression is part of what Christ was doing and is part of what his message in his mission statement in Luke 4, uh, you don't understand that if you're not around it. And the church has to be a part of that and around it. And so that's what kind of led me to seminary. I had to get closer in my walk with Christ because what I'm seeing out here, I didn't believe to be a, um, very often was not what I believe price intended.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, in my experience of African American churches, um, they're just so plugged into the community. Um, so justice driven and paying attention to people on the margins that, um, gosh, it should be an inspiration for any white church to be paying attention to their black brothers and sisters and how they are working and moving in the world. Um, And to be a symbol and say, oh, this is how we should be taking note um, of how we are operating and how we're not operating.
2: Yeah, Joel, I, I think what you talk about is something that has been part of the history of the black church um unfortunately for too many of these same churches today they've forgotten that history or um just don't value it um and so when we came to North Carolina um this is the first time that I I never really I knew the history of black churches but I never Um, You know, it wasn't something that was in my head um, when we joined a church in Boston, although it turned out to be, um, you know, one of the more involved churches in the community. Um, But we went to several churches here in our, you know, during our church search Uh, And we didn't see that. And when we finally did find that, um, I mean, we knew what we were looking for, a church that was was involved in the community, a church that was focused around social justice um, work and um, being um, part of the change um, that is so needed. So. We And we're very fortunate to, even though we had to leave one church, um, we are fortunate to have found another church, um, both in Charlotte, um, where we could find those values that are so important to us. And
1: let me maybe add one footnote to that value thing. Um, If you want to know where people's heads are, you follow the money. Um, and so finding a church that would support, financially support outside ministries, uh, ministries in the community. Um, like I work with some prison, I work with the prison ministry. The church donates to that ministry as an example. Okay, so we, were, we weren't just looking for a church that would, spell. and the preacher does give great sermons, don't get me wrong, I'll send you some um, if you're interested, but yeah, we think that if you can't, that engaging in the community is the way you build a church. You've got to be relevant to what people, to the pain that people feel uh, and the joy they feel. Um, and I think that you know, we found that here, but we also see, on the other side that um, you know a lot of churches have a ways to go uh, in terms of um, um, appreciating the significance of what the people who are not in the pews can bring to your service but also your growth uh, in Christ because you'll be fresher, you'll be renewed. The more New people you can bring in who are a part of what's happening every day, and they're solving issues. They bring that into the church, and I think the church becomes much more powerful uh, as a result of constantly bringing in new people. And so, having those ministries that work outside the church is part of the lifeline, and it's also part of the future uh, because eventually the folks in church they kind of get old and die. And so, if you're not <laughs> If, you, if you're if you not doing this other stuff, you can kind of get lonely yeah. up in there later on.
0: So it sounds like um, the connection I'm making is this is all about building a movement, right? That the church is actually a movement that Jesus started, right? Well, it started long before Jesus even, but Jesus came and, uh, and now we're a part of that movement as well. And uh, including people in that movement and getting people involved in that movement, which seems to boil down to this work of justice in the community um, becomes so critically important. And so when you guys didn't have a church, you were creating, you were creating the movement. Um, And the church all of a sudden sounds like became a partner with you in some of those movements. Um,
2: Um, I I wouldn't have the audacity to think that we were creating any movements. Um, You know, we were always, Um, I I think uh, most of the work that I have done um, as contributing to movement building, um, and that is through educating people, through doing advocacy, through organizing, so that when the time comes, for instance, um, the latest movement that we see is the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. And I think um, the, what you started, um, Joel, with unity and community, I think these past few years that Willie and I have both been involved in movement building through unity and community, So that now um, I'm I'm just amazed by the um, the sort of um, ahas and lights going on and participation in protest of particularly um, many of the white members of Unity and Community the things that we've been talking about through our study um, as black people and white people who have come together, um, talking about the history of this country, talking about slavery, talking about reconstruction. um, The the, it's amazing to me and um, really um, makes me proud. Really, of um many of our members who had good hearts and you know wanted to do the right thing um, but had absolutely no understanding of history, no you know well, you know why is there all this racism if we you know i mean i'm a good white person um i you know I try to teach my children you know to be nice to accept um, all people. Um, but now people understand the it's the systems. It's not whether you're a good person or a bad person. It's um, centuries of um, oppressive systems and policies and practices and laws that have gotten us to this point. And so, Now, so many more. I mean, that's how you see so much, so many white people involved, particularly. uh, I never thought that we would see a protest um, in support of uh, George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement in Cornelius.
1: (laughs) With 400 people, no less. Yes.
2: Yeah. And and a number of those people were unity and community members because mm-hmm. now they get it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that so that's an interesting unity and community is an interesting group to me um because for those listening to this um William Pam came to my church when I was in Cornelius uh one Sunday and I think a church member went and visited you, is that right? Um brought you like a little gift or something
2: the, the loaf of bread
0: yeah a loaf of bread mm-hmm. and um said said something I don't remember exactly how the conversation went but it was something to the effect of um oh you mean there are no black people at our church I didn't know that
1: yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what that's the white members exactly. said <laughs> <laughs> oh when we walked in there and went, <laughs> we were looking around couldn't find we found one kind of brown guy <laughs> Um may have been Latin, not sure, but um yeah, it was pretty doggone white
0: yeah, and uh so then Charlottesville happened, and we uh we meaning clergy in the area, put together a prayer vigil, and um we had talked about the importance of bringing together different uh types of people from different races, different backgrounds, um uh, maybe in different religions and I didn't know if anyone was gonna sign up. And we had like a hundred people sign up who wanted to be a part of these small groups, racially diverse small groups. I went, crap, well, I gotta get like a group of people together who can figure this thing out. And um you two came to mind because I was like, Oh, they didn't they walked into my church and were just like point blank, like, what do you mean? You you didn't notice there were no black people there? And you became part of this core group uh, of this planning team for this, what became unity and community. Um, And it was just, to me, that was, when I think about a movement, um, I think of, oh, what energy is already there? Uh, That you're not, so I like what you said earlier, Pam, that you're not creating the movement, but you're noticing what's already happening and saying, Mm -hmm. okay, let's, let's help this flow in a direction and get some Mm -hmm. energy behind it. Um, and so you guys were a huge gift to that with all your background and activism work and social justice and all the other movements you've been a part of. Um, yeah, a lot of wisdom and guidance. So that was cool.
1: Well, I know you're running up against your time. Want to leave with a, um, you can, uh, with a, a thought on this, um, I think the issue of I think two things i read in the last 24 hours. Uh, one was, um, uh, and I'll send it to you, it was a story in I think the New York times, <clears throat> it says uh, something to the effect is um, as black folks get oppressed, white folks go to book clubs.
0: Mm, I read that too. That was good.
1: <laughs> I think it was a very good article. Um, And I think the the significance of it for me is that um, you don't learn, you learn when you engage on the the, the books, you know, a book club thing is fine, but you can't substitute third-hand experience for first-hand experience. Um, And so this whole thing of, um, I don't know anybody black. Well, they're black churches, they're black organizations. You know, you, that's like, that's, that's like an excuse. Okay. Um, or, you know, if you don't know, you, you don't know anything about Latin folks, come on, give me a break. I run into them all the time. In fact, everybody who's like, does a landscape around his Latin. So, you know, you can be proximate, but it requires you to engage. You, you, you can't use excuses not to engage the first thing. The second thing is, when Pam was talking about systems of oppression, there's a really good opinion article in the um, Observer, the Charlotte Observer News, that says Ch's athletic director says he doesn't know why racism endures. His school shows why. It's an article that talks about um, most of the revenue generating sports at universities are um sports with large numbers of african americans and so african americans have uh their labor has um supported the sports institutions and so when um african americans have argued we want to be paid that then becomes something that the NCAA is opposed to, schools are opposed to. They bring up this whole thing about student athletes and so forth. But it's the system that has these black folks at the bottom generating wealth or athletic directors who make a million dollars a year or schools uh, for uh, many of the other sports. Uh, so, it's, so the second point I'm making is that it is about systems. It's about so many of the things you touch and feel every day that are not just tinged with racism, but they have a historical, um, they have a history of racism as part of its formation and its own sustenance. And so um, getting out and investing the time to really understand how your country works um, and why is it that? Um, the other thing we were talking about: Why is it that, uh, in say in Atlanta, a white guy who's drunk at Wendy's, the cop would probably call his wife. The cop got the car. You know, why do you have to handcuff a guy and then shoot him? Uh, I mean, you know the, the the the. But underneath all of that. Is this culture of um, controlling blacks, and whenever um, you know you you hear this whole thing about, well, they they got a point, but they should have gone about it differently. Most whites will always have an excuse for why blacks should have done something differently, but they don't know what the differently is, okay? Mm-hmm. And so until you're willing to um, engage that you don't really appreciate the significance of the knee that's on the neck, the size of it, uh, and, and how it permeates so many other areas of life. But um, it, it's important, I think, within movements in today, particularly now that people are demanding more, that you really do have to understand the history and invest some time to understand that.
0: So just... So maybe there is a usefulness to the book clubs, but it cannot be the end-all be-all. Yeah. So it's got to be the learning to then do well. Yes.
1: Yeah, I didn't mean to like kill book clubs. Yeah. Just but, <laughs> I mean, they can't replace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They can't replace the actual uh, proximity and mm-hmm. getting to know people and create relationships.
0: Yeah. They're not equal. They're two different things.
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Are you looking?
2: Well <laughs> Did you
0: have something I'm trying
2: more? To wrap it up. What?
0: We can go forever. It's okay. Uh
2: well I guess I just wanted to say I, I'm so reminded of and I don't know the origin of this. Um, I looked up and I know at least one um, source for this phrase um, is in a, a Chinese proverb may we live in interesting times. And the times are certainly interesting. And the times after four years, almost, of um, going backwards um, to try to get to that place where America was great, I'm so hopeful um, with the protests and the the work, um, the coming together that is happening now, Um, seeing protests um, that are so diverse, that have so many people of different races, of different ages, of different backgrounds, Um, And to have this movement once again being led by the young people, um, it gives me a lot of hope. Um, So I look forward to unity and community being able to continue to contribute um, to moving our country forward um, in a direction um, towards justice for all.
1: Yeah, these
0: protests, um, what I've heard older black leaders say is that they've never seen it so diverse, just like you said, Pam. We're
1: we're the older, we're the older blacks now.
0: (laughs) 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 I think, I think that's such a strange, like to me, that's such a strange idea. You mean white people weren't out there? Oh. Like in droves before? Uh, Not
2: in droves. Now, there were always yeah, sympathetic white um, people.
1: Yeah, I mean, most of them came from the church community, from the mm-hmm. faith community, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were like a small handful of um, people at demonstrations. I think what you're seeing now is unprecedented in the history of the U.S. as it relates to uh, white, black, um, um, unity in demanding stuff. I don't know if I've ever seen, with all the killings of Black folks, Remember, you know, you've had some things like Tulsa where they drop bombs out the sky. You know, you've had some horrific things where most whites have chosen to either been intimidated and not wanting to come out, supported it, um, or chosen not to say anything. Um, but, you know, white press blame, you know, if you go back and pull it up, by and large, black folks are blamed for their own oppression. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's the thing that seems to be stuck in literature, stuck in systems, that the real reason um, the welfare system doesn't work because you got this welfare queen. Who, siphons off of some crazy number of chicks and lives like with a lives with a cadillac and some other you know you 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 get these silly dilly characterizations of blacks that um fall onto a white consciousness that has been so conditioned to look at blacks in a in 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 a different way Um, and so things become reinforcing um, you know, the black folks did this. Oh yeah, we don't expect no more of them. Um, well, we can't put them in, you know, they can't be quarterbacks because they're not smart enough. Um, they can't be the face of the team because, you know, do you want that to be the face of your team? You can't, um, move up the ladder to be a CEO. Um, you know, you can't be the president. If you read these stories about how ashamed white people were, the Obama was the president. And they used to hate going to see some of their other friends in different states because they would have to hear about, you know, like you all elected him Um, or people from other countries. So this is the systems manifest themselves in ways that are reinforcing. Um, And so children think this way because their parents thought that way because their parents thought that way. And then it was reinforced in literature, um you know, like when I went to school, I had to go to, I had to give you a list of all the all the confederate generals. I went to a segregated school that that was part of we had to go through and there was a what do you call those limericks where you know like uh, you know a b c d e I, I can't remember it now, but there's a limerick with all the confederate generals in it really? that we yeah, well, you learn this is like. Part spelling bee. <laughs> if you do this, you get these. I don't know what you get. I don't. I mean, I. I think I wanted it a couple of times, but I don't remember get. I don't remember what I got. So <laughs> the point is, um, that's a part of America that white folks don't have to deal with. Y'all yeah. don't have to look at statues. You know, you can. You you don't get the same thing. Yeah. Um. You know. So I'll stop there.
0: Well. I- And so I think something there, there are two movements happening, right? So there's a movement that is, um, organic and moving and happening. And then there's one that's being imposed, right? A systemic one over the generations. Yeah. Uh, And that's a movement that's being fed to us. And then there's another movement that's just people saying, ah, no, this needs to be different. Something needs to change. Um, and it seems like it's picking up steam
1: and they want to be a part of the change. Yeah. And they want, you know, they, they're starting to see the justice as tangible. Uh, it's not ideals. You know, it's not the greatest ideals of our country. You know, if you want justice, justice is concrete. It means this. It means that police has to be rethought. It means you can't turn around and militarize neighborhoods. Um, you can't every time something happens, fools with SWAT and tanks, no less show up at Wednesday. No, they didn't do it at Wednesday night. <laughs> but um, but that's the norm. And so the more fans talking about the more what we're seeing now is um, a, a demand for justice that's much more broad based than anything we've ever seen like by a long shot like a really long shot. Hmm.
0: And that's and why it's so not, encouraging.
2: It's not limited to the criminal justice reforms and and the police. Um, People are understanding systemic racism, and that's throughout all of the systems and the institutions and the just all-encompassing. So this is a movement for justice, not just against police brutality.
0: Yeah, yeah. So many different facets, um, and uh, I think uh, I think there's still some people who are confused that uh, the protests are actually for something, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a protest for some kind of change, and not just any arbitrary change, but concrete, like you said, mm-hmm. Willie. Like mm-hmm. this is what we want. Mm-hmm. We, want this, and we want this, we want this, we want this, and we need those laws in place to ensure that happens. Um, Yeah, that's, well, do you have any um, advice for any of, any people leading movements, any people trying to figure out how to start something, any people trying to um, grab onto the momentum and make something happen?
1: Um, At this point in my life, um, I think the most important thing is to do. Reflect and learn and continue to do. That um, this somehow separation between faith and action is one thing that Christians gotta, gotta get over. That faith without works is dead. That it, it actually really does mean something concrete, um, um, that, that section of James. And so, um, Getting over the inhibitions um, to going out and engaging is something that, in America, you are taught to depend on your elected representative. You're you're, you're taught an institutionalized docility. That is, you accept a certain set of things, uh, and then you elect people and you pay taxes and so forth to make these other things happen. But you really are not incented to be a part of the active day-to-day things that impact lives. You know, you have the welfare system, school system. You have all those systems that you're supposed to depend on and then you're supposed to make those systems work um, for you and you make them work through electing people on your school board, you know. it's. Uh, Passive form of democracy. A. It's also a passive form of faith. Hmm. Um, and I think that's the biggest hurdle, in my view, that we have to help people get over. That um, the works part of faith um, is dynamic. That that's what Jesus actually did. That's what scripture calls on us to do. If we're not, if we're not from a church or faith community and you want to fight for justice, you actually have to do these same things too. So you will be joined as you struggle for justice, you will be joined by faith people, you'll be joined by people who don't know nothing about faith, you may be joined about folks who are left-handed and really want a right-handed bat, but they want equality and justice. Occasionally, you might even, be, uh, you might even have a court decision or two that'll support what you're, what you're doing. And so, so I think this whole notion of rethinking your role is critical to movement, because um, the, the the passive democracy, the passive faith, um, is part of what um, disarms us. And so, when we see an injustice, we don't really we want to depend on all these other systems to address it. But the systems themselves are racist. Okay, the systems are built on the back of a bad set of principles economic principles primarily and so as you defer more and more to that you lose this part of what the, the scripture calls on us to do mm-hmm. um and so engaging um and and getting more and more comfortable that that's your right and it's your responsibility uh and it's what christ would ask you to do um is i think part of people's growth and evolution.
0: Yeah. I okay. like what you said, do and then reflect this kind of idea. Don't be trapped in trying to make sure it's exactly right, or it's all put together perfectly, or it's just get started and it'll mm-hmm. come, it'll come and you will misstep <laughs> along the way. And that's okay. Uh, but yeah, the, if you don't do you rely on, yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. The, the system mm-hmm. that's already in place, which isn't working.
2: Yeah. Um, I just wanted to add on to what Willie said. It's like he was in my head. Um, After 47 <laughs> years. <laughs> but I think for a lot of people, they, you know, there are still people out there who see these protests and, oh, I could never do that, or you know, I would be afraid, or I don't think I know enough, or, you know, that I would be able to figure out, you know, what to do. Those are all excuses. Um, And I would say, particularly if you consider yourself a Christian, then it's, it's your duty. It's part of who you're supposed to be to live your values, to act on your values, to act on your faith. Um, and if you're not Christian, live just living on your values um, and feeling it, it's understanding um, that the only excuse you have is you mm-hmm. and yeah. kind of forcing yourself to have that will to take the first step. Uh, Over the years um, in my organizing, um, I can't tell you the number of um, particularly Black women who, um, many of them um, single mothers, um, grew up and remained in poverty, um, have always been um, under um, the knee of some system of oppression, Um, and they, through education and um, something may happen that will, you know, just kind of push you um, into a place that you've never been, that you're not comfortable in, but next thing you know, gee, I I never thought I could be a leader, you know, um, and it's movements. That's one of the things that a movement will do. It it creates new leaders. It puts people in situations where they feel like they have no choice. This is what I'm compelled to do. Um, So I think it's, important for people not to underestimate themselves um and to to act on what their faith is and what their values are
0: mm. yeah. So
2: scared you
1: enough
0: jewel you scared me enough is that what you said yeah are you
1: are you going to ditch this podcast now <laughs> oh,
0: i love it i love it yeah um well and i think yeah in uh How many people don't believe in themselves? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think goes back to this you two sitting right here, who nobody who is going to hear this will probably know who you are. And yet, this work you've done and the other people you've worked with over your lifetime so far have gone on to shape and change the world in huge ways. Um, And they may not be known either.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh,
0: And so, it's not about the clout or the, you know, prestige or the name recognition. It's real people doing real stuff because Mm -hmm. of their faith and their values changing the world.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which I think is way more powerful than (laughs) the famous person you hear doing something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, for us, we've basically been worker bees. Mm. Um, we're the people who make phone calls. We're the people who drop folks off, pick them up, um, or to make sure those things happen. Yeah. Uh, and so there are so many small ways that people can participate, um, And you know, and, and they can grow their confidence by doing small things. Um, and you know sometimes it's all you can do there. Sometimes people have handicaps and they're limited, you know, but they want to contribute. So um, respecting whatever those limitations are uh, and at the same time challenging people to stretch themselves to do the best they can because that's a form of love and respect. When you ask people to be the best version of themselves, that's truly love. That's actually actually scriptural. That is. That is what God has asked us to do, um, to show justice, love, mercy. Um, Those are all the values we think of as the best, that are in the best people. So we're asking, and that's part of one thing that we constant, that we believe in, is that um, when you ask people to aspire to their best selves, um, that actually is something that they come to recognize, that they're not living up to their capacity, hmm. and they want to do more, but sometimes they just don't know how. Okay. And so I think the combination of inspiring people to be the best version of themselves and then giving them opportunities to plug into stuff, um, is how people grow. Um, and the combination of wanting to be the best version and opportunity to um, connect to things that make you feel as if you're growing as a person, as a human being, you're making a difference, you're contributing. Um, Those have been values that have been important to us. And I think it's why we get along with a lot of people because we truly want people to believe that um, we love them and our love for them will challenge them to be the best versions of
0: themselves. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I love that because it sounds like a, a building up instead of a tearing down, right? We're not going to tear you down for all the ways you come short. We're going to build you up and say, you could be even more. Yes. Than you are. Um, and who doesn't want to be a part of that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, anything else you want to share or say, or,
1: no. Good luck with the editing, Miss Sucker.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I don't think there needs to be any editing. This is gold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys for being a part of this and sharing and uh, grateful for you and all your work that you've been doing and will continue to do, I know.
1: Good seeing you, Joel.
2: Thank you for giving us the opportunity, Joel. Yeah.